I've basically tried and tested every wild and wacky thing out Excellent. there. Excellent. <laughs> now, I hope, I've kind of made a pledge to myself that I will stop before I get close to burnout. Hello and welcome to Do Mind, a podcast taking a fresh and proactive look at mental well-being. We're talking to people about their approach to their own mental health, looking at what it takes to maintain this in a positive way, and not viewing mental health as something that only happens when we reach those seismic breaking points. Whether this is practicing meditation, enjoying a healthier relationship with technology, exercising, spending more time in nature, cooking or time with family, we're talking about what it takes to find and maintain a happy mind. And what does that even mean? How does it make us feel and how does that change our lives? Our guests are entrepreneurs, wellness experts, politicians and musicians. Different worlds, but all willing to talk openly and honestly about something that has previously been overlooked. So today in the studio, we're welcoming a woman of many talents to the microphone. Sophie Scott is the founder and editor-in-chief of Balance magazine, and she's also a qualified counsellor, life coach and a trainee psychotherapist, so she knows a little bit about the mind. You'll know Balance magazine as a free publication that's distributed across London. They've got a circulation of over 200,000 every month, plus a huge online readership, so they reach a lot of people. The magazine's also stocked at the likes of Planet Organic, Harvey Nichols, and interestingly, at Downing Street. Recent cover stars include the likes of Jamie Oliver, Professor Green, Anna Friel, Ellie Golding, and Daniel Radcliffe, so they're no stranger to celebrity. The magazine aims to bring a healthy mix of content on mindfulness, well-being, exercise, and nutrition to their readers. The clue really is in the name. It's a personal favourite of mine, and I'll go out of my way to pick up a copy. Sophie's perspective is unique, with insights from her professional experience and her personal life. So now, without much more ado, let's hear from Sophie. Sophie, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and we're kind of super excited to have you on board, because you're going to bring such a wealth of experience and information to us. Let's see. Let's see, yeah. (laughs) I don't want to big you up too much, but I kind of feel really excited about it. We're going to start off with an easy one. What was the first thing that came into your mind this morning when you woke up? Do not look at your phone. Good one. Short and sweet. Is that is that something you try and avoid? Yeah, and I really struggle. And I think I then went on to look at it about 15 minutes later. And in those 15 minutes, what, what did you do instead? I mindfully took some breaths in. I calmly walked to make myself a cup of coffee and then went into the shower. And it was as soon as I came out of the shower, I picked up my phone. And why do you avoid your phone? I mean, I just, it's indicative, isn't it, of, of the culture that we live in. But I pick it up and I've had, you know, I don't know, 100 emails or something overnight and the day begins, you know, stressfully, I suppose. I mean, I think we're going to talk a little bit about technology and emails later, but it's probably my single biggest source of of stress and feeling frazzled. So I am very conscious, you know, most days I try not to look at my phone until I've just walked out of the house. So I've got a nice kind of hour in the morning to myself and I've got a few little rituals that I do. And I think that's really, really important. But having said that, I failed this morning and I I often fail. (laughs) Yeah. And and in those mornings when you do give yourself an hour, Mm. what does that morning look like? Mm. So I try to meditate a little bit every every day and actually also start off my day by practicing gratitude so 
personally, I have a kind of little meditation area shrine where I sit down in front of and I just try and list the things that I'm grateful for. And I also have a vision board that I look at and kind of meditate on every every morning, even if it's just for like two minutes. I just find kind of it really helps center me and refocus my energy. So it's interesting, actually, because obviously mindfulness is all about the present. And I do that very much through breath and, and doing body scan. But then I also do do visualizations, which are somewhat more about manifestation and what it is I want. So I try and, I suppose, have three practices, one of which is gratitude. Second one is about breath and very much coming into the body. And the third is goal-focused in terms of things that I'd like to expand upon. And what does your vision board look like? (laughs) It is a big piece of white card with uh, you're asking me what I've specifically put well, on there. I'm, or... just, I'm trying to read into your future, but yeah, yeah, if you can share anything. It's really a collage of uh, quotes and images that resonate with me. And there are some material things on there, which actually I really struggled with when I put it together. I thought, is that really bad to put on, you know, I don't know. A house or a, a car a, a, or exactly. a watch. Yeah. And I really, it was really interesting just how much I contended with myself over that. But in the end, there are a few material things on there, which I try and sort of own and not feel ashamed of, mm-hmm. um, which I think us Brits tend to tend to do. But then it's very much more about how I want to feel. And so when I'm talking about the things that I'd like to manifest, I try and not make them so much about I want this, this, this and this, but how I want to feel. You know, especially, I think when we think about relationships, it's very easy to have a checklist of things that we want. You know, I want a man who is, you know, handsome, tall, kind, rich, you know, successful, funny. But actually, if we're able to focus instead on how we want to feel within the relationship, I think that that's a, that's a better focus. And when you've kind of started your day with these, these three practices, mm. how does your, what does a happy mind mean to you? So you've, you've started that day... How do you feel when your mind is in balance or however you want to phrase it versus when your mind isn't? Mm. I think it's about clarity for me. Um, so it's the opposite of feeling frazzled, which is how I feel so much of the time. <laughs> I've got a really busy mind. I'm often sort of running from one task to the next. So there's a clarity and a focus. So that might be on a specific task. But also it might be about stepping back from a situation and seeing it with more clarity. Perhaps stepping back and and seeing the way that a certain dialogue is going. In other words, becoming grounded and centred in myself so that I'm able to be very much in touch with myself and know what belongs to me and what doesn't. And I feel that for me that's that's a real challenge but a really important piece of work. I have a tendency to be quite sponge-like. I'm quite, I'd say I'm a highly sensitive person and I can pick up on things quite easily and take on burdens and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it's about having the ability to step back and say, do you know what, am I dealing with my own stuff or is this a projection? So it's clarity for me. That's that's really what... Um, what a healthy mind means. And do you have to take, you know, as someone who does have an incredibly busy life, do you take moments out of the day to kind of 
recenter? Is that something you Constantly. wish you did? Right. So I try and do a little bit of meditation in the morning. But when I say this, I mean, it can be two minutes. So this morning, it was literally one minute, I think. Most mornings, I try and make it sort of 10 minutes, 15. But a lot of the time, it isn't. And actually, that's fine. Because the truth is, I need to go back to that and check in throughout the day. I've talked a little bit about struggling with anxiety. And I need to constantly sort of go back to myself and look after myself. And I've been known to escape to a loo or, you know, a small meeting room and just lock myself in there for five minutes and focus on my breathing and coming back to myself. So, yeah, absolutely. It's essential for me. So in terms of how do I try and keep a healthy mind, it's through ongoing mindfulness meditation. I also have weekly psychotherapy. I listen to podcasts and and read things that I find inspiring. Yeah. (laughs) And and on a practical level, I mean, you are the founder and editor of Balance magazine Mm. and you guys are kind of totally dedicated to bringing a really kind of balanced approach to well-being. And so your staff must be kind of more aware than most of things like this. Do you find that in the office? Um, We've got an amazing team very talented and and they're great people but everyone's human at the end of the day and we are also a media brand so you know a lot of people have come to this having worked in magazines for years and years they're not necessarily coming at it from the well-being Mm. mindfulness stance I mean that's very much been my stance and my inspiration behind setting up balance but it's something that you know really hope that we can instill and kind of foster as a company culture but, you know, you've got We're people still from human. all walks of life and it's like any business, you know, you've got finance director and commercial team and, you know, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a paradox kind of being a, a wellness media brand because the two things, you know, don't always mm. go hand in hand and that's actually where, you know, it can be tough. It's like any well, wellness business, actually. You can create a wonderful, very mindful, sustainable product, but the reality is you've still got a business to run and a bottom line. And does that come with an added layer of pressure for you, I guess, as, you know, you guys are a, a mindful wellness publication? Mm. And therefore, you know, do you do you think people expect you to just have it figured out all the time, to have this perfect kind of approach to your your mind and meditation? Possibly, but I certainly hope that balance is never preachy and is really accessible so I would hope that people would read it and totally see that it's coming from a very real place you know yes do I put pressure on myself sometimes absolutely to think that I have to be this kind of perfect wellness ambassador and actually it's complete crap (laughs) (laughs) and I and I am so not that Um, I have aspects of that inherently in me but do I struggle as much, if not more, so than the next person? Yes. Are we saying that balance is ever fully achievable? Not necessarily, but it's something that we're all striving towards, and I am as much as the next person. And you've talked, you mentioned a little bit earlier about having experienced mm. anxiety and extreme levels of stress in your own life. What mm. were those periods like? Gosh, I mean... I would say that, listen, I'm very lucky and I don't want to make it sound like I've had an awful life because I realise actually how completely privileged I am. But I would say that stress probably goes back from when I was quite young. 
so I think we become sort of hardwired fairly early on through our through our childhood experiences. Um, my mum was very ill from when I was a baby, and she subsequently passed away when I was a teenager. So, you know, that was certainly a very stressful time in my life. And, you know, going back to school and having to face my peers, I think that was probably the first time I became really conscious of feeling anxious mm. and going into a social situation and not feeling entirely comfortable or how do I handle this. In some ways, it was when I became mindful because I was able to step back and reflect on my place in the world and how I related to other people. But it was also quite anxiety-making. And that's the other thing, actually, is that kind of anxiety and mindfulness in some ways can go hand in hand because the more aware that we become, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the more, you know, in a way, like our consciousness is heightened, the more anxious we can become. Mm. You know, you become aware that, you know, we're all going to die. God, this sounds very bleak. <laughs> this wasn't the conversation you were expecting. <laughs> no, we're going down this path and we're going to keep going down it. <laughs> Sorry, you just tell me to shut up. But, you know, actually, we're, you know, we're all running out of time. There's so much to do. And that is real. And I think it's not about avoiding that and living in a kind of glossy bubble of everything's grey and we just be happy all the time. Because that's, that's just not real. Mm. And that brings about its own levels of pressure and anxiety. So I think, yeah, in becoming clearer about certain situations and about life as a whole, that can feed anxiety and then it's kind of a cycle and then you realise that, okay, now I have a choice and how do I want to view this predicament? And how did you discover mindfulness? Was it during that period of anxiety? Mm. I have, as you'd probably expect (laughs) from the founder of Balance, I've basically tried and tested every wild and wacky thing out Excellent. there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been on on a path of self-development for a long time and I found that a lot of stuff is utter crap and really doesn't work for me. And then some things do. I got into Buddhist chanting when I was about 17 and, and how did you find Buddhist chanting? Where did that? My sister, where did you come across my it? sister okay. was a practicing Buddhist at the time, mm-hmm. so she kind of got me into that. And ultimately, this particular branch wasn't entirely for me, although I think it's got many fantastic attributes to it. I really, really liked the chanting, but I felt that it wasn't quite suited for an organisation. I prefer to sort of do my own thing rather mm-hmm. than have to follow a, a, a specific regime. And from that, though, I started to explore other types of Buddhism, predominantly Tibetan Buddhism, and went to a few classes. There's a really nice centre actually near where I live in Archway, and I really enjoyed that. So I practice kind of both mindfulness meditation, focusing very much on the breath work. And then I also went to a workshop on metabhavna, which is loving kindness meditation. Mm-hmm which I really liked. It's a more active process. I can say just really briefly what that involves. It involves, well, the mantra is, may you be well, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering. And you start off by doing it to somebody who you're really, really close to, you love. It's very easy for you to wish them well. And then you go on to somebody that it's not so easy for you to wish them well. And you end up going through kind of your community, your wider community, so maybe somebody that you might see at the corner shop, but you don't really know them. And 
ultimately to yourself, which can sometimes be the most challenging one, you know, the most challenging person to wish them to be happy mm. and well can often be yourself. So yeah, I got into it really through that. And then reading as well. So learning a bit about John Kabat-Zinn's teachings, MBSR. I'm really interested in the science behind mindfulness. And over the years, there's been some really, really interesting studies which have proven the benefits on the brain and how the brain can actually change structure based on practicing mindfulness. And then also through studying to be a psychotherapist. I was um, just going to say, I yeah. mean, not only are you the editor of Balance magazine, but you're also a trained counsellor, life coach, and now a psychotherapist as well. So how have you managed to do all of that? And what has that kind of brought to your practice as well? Because I guess you have mm. kind of lots of different viewpoints of of the mind. Mm. Definitely. And I mean, it was very much the inspiration behind Balance was to kind of put this mindful content out there to the masses, to commuters to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, I actually think in many ways I learned more about myself through training to become a psychotherapist than anything else, maybe even more so than being in therapy. And you just realise that everybody, well, I've realised that everybody pretty much struggles with similar things. And it's a real eye-opener to realise that you're not alone you know, we all basically have five main areas of our lives and <laughs> at any one moment, any of them can be out of balance mm -hmm. or more than one. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it definitely does. And and I think as well <clears throat> as being a physical print magazine, Balance mm. magazine is also online. And mm. I wanted to talk a little bit about our kind of society's relationship with technology because, you know, in lots of ways it's this incredibly democratizing you know awesome tool that gives us access to heaps of information mm. but as we're talking about more and more I think it's kind of you know we're talking about being enslaved by technology in some cases and you know you talked about avoiding your phone for as long as possible in the morning <laughs> so <laughs> what's your personal relationship with technology and then you know how do you think that that's played out in our kind of well wider society as well mm. definitely complex my relationship mm. with technology so, as I said earlier, it's probably my greatest source of anxiety, not just because I've got, I think, 3,198 unanswered emails <gasps> right now in my inbox. That but, notification but, dot yeah, alone would stress me out. It, yeah, absolutely. But it's also because there's real people behind those emails. Yeah. And you think, God, I'm disappointing so many people or I'm missing opportunities or I'm pissing people off. <laughs> but then it's not just what's in your inbox, it's what's also in your outbox. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself rereading sent messages in the middle of the night and panicking over them and thinking, shit, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can swear on it. But like thinking, oh my God, have I like said something really inappropriate? Yeah. Have I CC'd the wrong person? Have I sent a kiss to my investor? Did or, I you know? word that yeah. completely the wrong way? Absolutely. Yeah. Have I caused offence? So I think absolutely this always on communication causes anxiety, well, at least for me, mm. from you know, in a lot of ways. In work, I see both sides of the coin. So as a, as a practicing psychotherapist, I'm really aware of the darker side of technology and how it's fueling social isolation and it's giving us a sense of being connected, but actually it's kind of often an illusion. And for me, there's nothing more powerful than sitting in front of somebody and looking into the whites of their eyes and having that really human connection and interaction. So 
you know, from that perspective, that's kind of my thought. But then I also know that whatever is in the light is also in the shadow and vice versa. So technology in and of itself is absolutely incredible. And you think about all these brilliant companies and, you know, tech entrepreneurs that are out there that are trying to solve real world problems, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's improving literacy in Africa or helping food to be distributed, you know, linking up supply with demand. Incredible. And I myself benefit from using so many apps from, you know, Calm, Headspace. So I think that technology has some fantastic, incredible things to offer, if not, you know, more things to offer than it than it, than it doesn't. And very much the inspiration behind Balance was to produce and share mindful, positive content that help people to live happier, healthier, more mindful lives. So I'm hoping that I'm, you know, doing mm. something on both sides of the of the axis, so to speak, that's beneficial. But yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, it is fascinating when you look into it. I think it's something like nine out of ten young people in the U.S said that they would or said that they do open a text message during sex <laughs> oh my I god mean, can you imagine if you're well, on the clearly. receiving end of that <laughs> yeah. there's lots of people out there who don't have to imagine that's crazy you know, i mean it is it's mad it's an epidemic mm. but it's a drug i mean and i'm it is it, a drug. for me it's totally the thing the most cause of anxiety for me as well mm-hmm. i think it's it's constantly feeling connected. It's feeling, as you said, guilty mm. about not being on enough, about not responding across all of these different channels that we're yeah. now connected to. It's not just one. It's, you know, it's social, it's email, it's Slack, it's WhatsApp, it's everything. And I don't have the answer to that. No. I think we're kind of starting that process of trying to look at how we use technology as a tool to enhance our lives mm-hmm. rather than being owned by it. But... I'm not sure where it's going to lead. And I don't think any of us know that yet, but I'm a believer in in order to find balance or to find equilibrium, things often have to swing to the extreme. Mm. So I think that, that I'm hopeful, <laughs> I'm really hopeful that there will be a, a middle way, a mm. third way. But yeah, I'm certainly not there yet. And in fact, in our last issue, which was our May issue, which focused very much on, on mental health and Mental Health Awareness Week, our cover star was Russell Brand, who's written a brilliant book called Recovery, which is, well, you can guess what it's about. <laughs> um, but in it, he very much talks about the fact that we're all addicted. We're all hooked on something. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs. It can be your phone. Mm. And I often think, you know, I'm hooked on stress. <laughs> you know, when something becomes a crutch... You know, or there's an there's a unhealthy attachment to something. I think it's time for us to stand back and look at that. So f- for me, it's very much about learning to say no, and carving out pockets of my day and time when I simply go offline. Mm. And yeah, putting your phone on airplane mode. I mean, that's at its basis mode is is how I can do it because I think well, you know, it's off basically. Yeah, but. That stress, I guess, that you talked about, being addicted to stress, it's that the highs that come with that. It's that feeling of adrenaline. And I think, you know, how do you balance that with a more 
kind of equilibrium sense of being because you know stress can be a good thing at times as well totally. it, it makes you a super you. high achiever mm. you know it pushes you forwards but yeah with that comes the lows yeah I think that's where reading some books on neuroscience uh, how the brain works is really helpful so that you can start to understand that actually yeah stress can totally be a motivator but when does good stress turn into bad stress mm. and you know, the symptoms usually are when your memory starts failing itself, you're feeling tired, you know, that kind of foggy brain yeah. feeling. And so it's just bringing awareness to that mm. earlier, headaches, all of that. And certainly now, I hope, I've kind of made a pledge to myself that I will stop before I get close to burnout. Mm. Whereas in the past, I've kind of let it just happen. Now I will stop myself before I get to that edge. <laughs> so you see the red flags earlier. Yes, exactly. And you talked a little bit as well about receiving, you know, hundreds of emails from mm. your readers and, and how these are real people. And mm. you've created this amazing, absolutely amazing resource, I think, for people to kind of, you know, bring a healthier, happier, more mindful life to, to the readers of London. But what sort of things are they writing in to tell you about? You know, do people talk about mindfulness? Do people talk about meditation? You know, how are you communicating with hundreds of people that are mm. reading your magazine? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think we're doing an okay job. I think we need to do a much better job. And if I'm honest, just as a startup, it's it's about been about resource and, mm. and time. But I'm really passionate about having these conversations and actually face-to-face -face as well so meeting our readers and hosting kind of reader events and and getting you know having these real conversations in terms of what people write in about it is generally to do with anxiety that seems to be the kind of the epidemic that we're facing mm. more so I would say even than than anything else actually so it seems to be yeah very much about anxiety and Work stress, like $1 trillion last year, was lost uh, in productivity due to work stress. Wow. So it's a real, real issue. And there needs to be a lot more awareness and support from companies at a high level. So, yeah, I think, and again, men. Men really wanting to get into the conversation and be included in the conversation and often not feeling like the language completely speaks to them if that makes sense. Mm. So that's something that we're really conscious of. I'm really passionate about encouraging men to open up about their mental health. I mean, you know, suicide is the number one killer in men under the age of 45. You know, just recently it was Vici that, you know, took his life. It's really tragic. And am I the best person to speak to them? No, probably not. I think... It's getting men to speak to other men, mm -hmm. but really, you know, supporting that and campaigning for that is something that I'm passionate about. And as um, an entrepreneur, mm. you know, you you run a business, you have investors, you have a team of people around you, you have this huge audience of people reading what you guys put out there. How do you think the stresses of being an entrepreneur, you know, is there something unique about that? Is there something kind of uniquely stressful I guess for entrepreneurs and how would you recommend other startup owners founders CEOs where do we look what do we do mm. what do you do mm, it's a really good question so 
Honestly, how do I feel? I feel like, yes, it is a different level of, of stress or it's a different type of stress. Um, but I'm also aware that I don't want to sound like I'm sort of living in an ivory tower. Yeah. It's, it's a real luxury. I mean, I feel feel so happy that I'm living, you know, a sense of mission and and purpose. But yeah, it, with that comes real responsibility and, you know, looking after, you, you employ people, you have a duty of care, um, you know, can you pay your bills? Cash flow is, you know, the number one issue that I think all startups face. We certainly do. HR issues, you know, and, and again, like I said, being kind of a, a fairly sensitive person, trying to not go into, for me, therapy mode when I'm, <laughs> when I'm in business mode as well. So it's putting on different hats at different times. So absolutely, I think that there are actually some great support groups out there. So I am a member of Founders, which Daniel Murray started with Robert Donovan and Luke Hemsley and that's been a fantastic source of support for me but also fun mm. and joy there was a event recently which sadly I think you couldn't make but yeah just to, to get that conversation going and be able to open up to people who are in similar predicaments to you and just be honest yeah completely because you know you look on Instagram <clears throat> and everyone's business is thriving and no one's <laughs> yeah. struggling and then you have a conversation with someone and suddenly you realise actually everyone's finding it hard because Absolutely. everyone's trying to do something different. Absolutely. And everything looks glossy on the surface. Mm. You and know? that's, I guess, part of, you know, part of the problem for everyone, not mm. just entrepreneurs, actually, because social media presents such a airbrushed view of, you know, this person's constantly on holiday, this person's always got a new handbag, mm. but that's a tiny snippet of their lives. Absolutely. Are you on social? Uh, well, balances. Personally, not so much. I have a personal Facebook account. I'm starting to sort of have a little bit of pressure to set up an Instagram. And so far, I have not. But yeah, Who knows? watch this face. Yeah. <laughs> it's the what tricky... about you? Do you? Well, no, I, I have a personal Instagram account. I don't post anything on it anymore. Is it private? It's private. Yeah. We use it every day for business my previous business was very much a personal slash business account mm -hmm. so my life was very much kind of shared through the business and that was super hard mm. um, and I do not envy Instagram influencers because you share everything mm. and you, there must be a constant pressure there to reply to your followers and to present your best life and you know there's a there's a shift I guess now towards people trying to be a bit more transparent and a bit more honest but it's a massive pressure, just mm. like your kind of 1,032 unread emails mm. in your inbox. Think about how many DMs they have as well. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a few more questions mm. for you. So, you know, what do you read, listen to? Who do you recommend kind of looking up in the space that, mm. that really inspires you? Mm. So in regards to podcasts, I love listening to Tim Ferriss. He's awesome. He's great, isn't he? I know he's a bit Marmite for some people, but I Love find him. him fantastic. And he's just done a new one, which is called Tribe of Mentors, mm. which is basically a kind of abridged version of his usual really long form interviews. So mm. I think these are about 20 minutes, so they're really digestible. And he speaks to a range of, you know, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, just really inspirational thinkers who share their kind of 
life hacks for you know optimum living so I really really like like that particular podcast and then I also listened to a lady called Tara Brach B-R-A-C-H who is an American author meditation teacher but she's also a psychotherapist so she really combines a kind of genuine understanding of psychology with the kind of more Buddhist teachings. Mm. And I really love that. Again, her talks are quite long. But if you've got, you know, to put them on in the background, you know, on a Sunday while you're, you know, doing your whatever, your errands or your things around the house, I thoroughly recommend. She also does a lot of guided meditations. Mm. I just particularly like her her style. She's really chilled when you listen to her. So she's got just a very soothing voice. So if nothing else, it's a kind of relaxing listen. And then in terms of books, I love anything by Yalom, Evan Yalom, who is a American writer and therapist, again, who talks a lot about kind of like the existential crisis that we're facing. But he's just such a great writer. It's so engaging and so funny. Love's Executioner is a brilliant book. And then I return again and again to Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now, And what else do I love? If you're really struggling with finding a purpose or a reason to get up in the morning, there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is, I think it's been translated into like every language in the world. And it was written from a concentration camp. And it's talking about finding meaning even in the most dire of circumstances. And actually it's the difference often between those who survive and don't, those that find a reason, however small that reason might be. It's a fantastic book. That sounds amazing. Um, Yeah, and then there's another really good book called Why Love Matters, which is particularly good for budding parents or (laughs) new parents, but it's interesting, I'm not a parent and I find it really interesting, which looks at neuroscience and the link between neuroscience and attachment. So, you know, how an infant's experience will shape their brain and it's just something to be really aware of when you are a parent, Mm. how to, I suppose, how, you know, how to parent. Yeah. (laughs) And, And what do you think is coming up in the world of mental wellness? What do you think? we want to happen what do you think is going to happen in the short term and what do we kind of want to make happen in the long term Mm, good question well I think fundamentally it's to continue the discussion and to accelerate the discussion so that we are not ashamed to admit when we are struggling when we need help you know you would easily ring in to work and say you know oh I've got the flu or I don't feel well but you wouldn't say oh I'm really suffering with my mental health today so can we get to a place where that is as acceptable as having a common cold I think it's a struggle but I think that's what we've got to strive for and I think also education so people reading things teaching themselves putting this more and more into mainstream media which is you know coming back to balance very much the mission Because the more people understand their minds, the less afraid of them they are Mm -hmm. and the less taboo the whole subject matter becomes. Uh, I'd love to see, you know, more therapy on the high street, making it really accessible. And also at the moment, there's a lot of a focus on brain training, which I think is fantastic. 
and, you know, in particular looking at, you know, improving memory and cognition and productivity. But as a society, I think we're very focused, or we're much more focused on the brain than the mind. Mm. So the brain is an organ. Tangible. Um, yeah, exactly. And and the mind is, well, I suppose it's, it's a metaphor. I mean, it's a it's our thoughts, mm. our feelings. It's all it's it's intangible. But actually, I would love as a society for us to start focusing or giving more attention to the mind. So, like I said, brain training is fantastic. And personally, I, I, you know, have really benefited from it and encouraged the team and stuff to do exercises and to engage in it. But it is fundamentally more about productivity, whereas training the mind becomes an exercise in wisdom, compassion, creativity. Stillness at times. Stillness, absolutely. So I think we need to to shift that. So... Sophie, I also wanted to ask you, you know, is it possible for us to have it all? Can we have these amazing jobs, amazing relationships, amazing bodies because we exercise and eat really well, amazing minds because we meditate super religiously every single day? What what are your thoughts on having it all? I believe it is possible to have it all, but not 100% of everything. And I think it's also true to say that it will fluctuate and everything will fluctuate and I mean there are times when I feel like I'm superwoman and I'm I'm killing it (laughs) but most of the time I am sort of just just about keeping my head above water actually I listened to a podcast the other day with Natalie Portman the actress and she was talking about juggling motherhood with being an actress and her work and stuff and she was saying that for her it was a real choice in I mean, she is saying this as a woman who's obviously very privileged and, you know, she probably got nannies, although I actually don't think she does, but anyway. And she she's chosen to do both things, but she's not brilliant, or at least this is her view, at either, you know? And it's this idea of, like, you can have it all, but it can't be perfect. And if you want something to be perfect, then you probably should just focus on one thing. Mm. So that's kind of the analogy that I that I like to use I mean I think that I'm a generalist (laughs) not a specialist and that's my personality type and actually in a way that works better for me because I'm somebody that likes to live life to the full and do loads of stuff but do I wish I you know ate better yes do I wish I you know had a great relationship in my life which I don't currently yes you know but do I think things change? Yeah, life is chaotic. Things constantly change. We we can't have control over everything. And I think there's something really important about that, you know, recognising and, and being humble, but at the same time doing our best. I think I'm now really rambling. <laughs> no, I, you're not rambling. And I just wanted to say, you know, if you're a generalist, which I think I am as well, because I'm interested in so many different mm. things, but it does mean you've got to cut yourself a break at some point. It's yes. like you said, you can't be a generalist and be an expert in everything. No. Those people with laser-sharp focus will have sacrificed all of the other interests that have sparked their mm. interest somewhere along the line. And I think both are valid ways of life, but like you said, you've got to be realistic. And know what works for you. Yeah. Good note be, to, yeah. to end on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sophie. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's Thank been you. It's been amazing. <laughs> Thank you 
for listening to Do Mind as we take a fresh and proactive look at mental well-being. Please subscribe to the podcast on your listening platform of choice. And for more information or to get in touch with us, please visit domind.co. We'd love to hear from you. 